The Bible says this in Psalm 66, verse 5. I love this scripture. It's why we do what we do. The psalmist in worship wrote this, Come and see what God has done. Come and see what God has done. He is, here it is, that's what we talked about last week. He is awesome in his deeds toward the children of man. We began a series last week called What Now? And we've really just been asking the question, what now? When you look around at 2020 and the headlines on the video are just a snippet of where we've been. And we live in a culture, we live in a land that doesn't have the answers for the moment that we're in. And so, like Israel in Deuteronomy, we are asking the question, what does the Lord require of us in this moment. So last week we talked about God. We talked about vision up. We talked about loving God. We talked about how awesome he is and the fact that he is so awesome. The scripture calls it the fear of the Lord, but the fact that he is that awesome and yet loves you so much that he would send his son creates in us the desire the fuel, if you will, to do what he's called us to do, to do that thing that he's required us to do. And so we talked about five keys, five steps to peace. And they were this last week, to fear God, to walk in God's ways, to love God, serve God, and keep God's commands. And if that sounds daunting to you, you need to get on YouTube later today and watch last week's sermon. Because what we found out is Jesus actually says that if you will join him, right? If you will yoke with him, that his burden is light. And so there's actually freedom in surrendering to the Lord. And so all of that brings us to that peaceful position that it is awesome and thrilling to serve our awesome God because he's a father. Because he's a good father, he's a loving father, he has a father's heart. And so last week was vision up, this week I want to talk about the result of that. The result of that. So if if that's who we are and the position that we get to be in, what's the result of that when good news comes into your life? What happens when Jesus moves in, when the Holy Spirit takes residence and begins to live through you? What is it, what perspective is it that you and I need? What perspective is it that our world needs from us? Right? Because this is a really big book. And there's a lot in here. And and if we were to boil that down, what is it that God requires of us? What now? What now, quite literally, in this moment And so today I want to look at a text with you that really helps those of us who are thrilled to be God's kids, adopted into his family, to do the actual way of Jesus in the world. So we spent our whole last series talking about the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus lays a lot of that out. But when you really come down to it, how do we show the love of Christ? Right here in Tampa Heights. What does that look like? What does that look like where you're sitting in your house? 
to reach your neighbors? What does it look like to live the way of Jesus? You know, as you read the Bible from cover to cover, from the beginning to the end, there is this overarching theme that rises to the top and is actually explicitly stated all throughout the Bible in, from Genesis all the way to Revelation. And the theme rises up and it is this where the Lord comes to his people and he says this phrase. He says, I will be your God and you will be my people. If you were to boil down God's heart for you and for me and for his church, his body, his bride, his kids, all these beautiful things that he says, it would boil into that theme that runs from the front to the back. That God desires to be your God. He is that just by position. We understand that. And that's what most people struggle with, that God is God, that he's Lord. And we don't like that. We don't like being told what to do. We don't like being told there's nothing we can do. That doesn't fit our narrative as 21st century Americans. We get stuff done. And so we don't like that. He is that by position, but what makes him unique and all through the Old Testament especially, and even into Acts, as Paul would stand before his counterparts in the secular world. All through it, we recognize that not only is God there because he is, <laughs> because of his position, because of his power. But I love the way that's laid out because he desires to be your God. He desires that you would be his people. And in that, we see the Father heart of God. And so God's vision for us is a relational vision. It's one that he participates in with you. It's why the scripture says things like God will never leave you. He'll never forsake you. Even in your worst moment, he will still be there. Because he is your God and we are his people. And so out of that place, out of a loving father's heart, if you're taking notes, this is the first thing on your notes, is this. Two things come from that. God saves us and then he sends us, right? Like that is the natural flow of what God is doing in the world. If God is our God and we are his people, we're left here for a purpose. You are not here to just aimlessly wander in a broken world. God has saved you. He saved me. And all of the glory of being in the family of God now comes down to this, that he's now sent us. It's why Redeemer City Church chooses to be on this corner, to have a building on this corner, in this city, at this moment. Because it is steps from here that people, as Jesus said, wander like sheep without a shepherd. They gather because in them, as Shelley mentioned earlier, is this need to be in community. We all recognize that. It's why places like Armature Works skyrocket. 
because people need community. You and I need community. It's why we push city groups so hard. And we want you to get on there and sign up because it's not just a thing for you to do. It's who we are. We really believe that we ought to be according to scripture. And I talked about this last week as it talked about day by day, the people of God were the people of God. Because God is our God and we are his people. And so it is who we are, quite literally, to day by day be in community with each other. And we recognize that even in Jesus' prayer in John 17, that that's the thing that will draw people to him. And so we believe all of those things, that he saves us and he sends us. And I want to look just briefly today at how that works. How does that work? There's a beautiful passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that is important for us to look at because I've been trying to convince you for years now. <laughs> years, some of you have been listening, sitting right there looking at me for years. And I have every weekend that I'm up here tried to convince you of one thing. That your relationship with God is relational and not transactional. That there is nothing that you can do to get outside of God's reach. And there's nothing you can do to get inside God's reach. That this is one way love. That this is God the Father looking down on the children of man. And being moved with compassion that he would send Jesus to this earth. That you might be made right with God. And so if you're watching this online and you're not a Christian or you're sitting here today and you're not a Christian, that is the thing that separates what we believe at Redeemer City Church and what we believe the Bible teaches from every other religion, including other Christian ones. That is the central thing, that this is not a transactional thing. That you can run like a ragamuffin for the rest of your life and God will still love you. He will still pursue you. He will still save you and bring you in because it's not about what you can do for him. It's about what he's done for you. Because the Christian life is about what God has done, not we can do. And if you get nothing else out of this, if you get nothing else out of any sermon I ever preach on any weekend, I want you to get that. Because that's the thing. That's the difference. That is what makes God our God. And if we were to just push that a little farther, like, and just take a hint, God could do it better than us anyway, couldn't he? <laughs> God could just do it and make it perfect, right? That's why 1 Corinthians one twenty seven says he chooses to use the weak things of the world to shame the strong. Because it's about what he's doing. And we Get to be a part of that. So what does it look like when we get to be a part of what God's doing in the world? I love this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 11. So if you have a Bible, meet me there. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 11. And we'll take a couple notes along the way here. But let's read this together. It says this in verse 11, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, right? That's where we were last week. Knowing the fear of the Lord, that God is awesome. And because of that, it is thrilling to serve him because he's so awesome. And yet 
in that transcendent place, he comes near and he loves you and he desires to be your God and for you to be his people. He wants to be your father. So it's there that we were last week and now that moves into practicality. Knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Listen to me. Listen to me. When you have the best thing in the world, you share it. Can we just talk about that? When, when Baylor, who's sitting right over there, little four-year-old Baylor, when she was born, you better believe I was telling people. I was like, I had the best thing in the world happen to me. Look at her. <laughs> and like, you're like, I've seen a million babies. And I'm like, yeah, but you have not seen this one. And she's incredible, right? And it's like, as a father with my little girl, I was persuading others, she's the best thing that's ever happened. Right? We get that. We get what God's saying because we live this, Right? It's why when we get married, right, I just, one, one, of, one from our congregation just got engaged and yesterday she posted, and you don't know who I'm talking about if you see this, but she posted, I said yes to the dress, right? And there was a, po- a photo and it's like, you know, and all, everybody's like, oh, you know, because we get that, right? We get that. We know the feeling when, when something precious happens, when we, when we get something that is beyond our feelings, right? We share it. It is, it is a natural response. And so what I want to ask you today as a Christian is, have you gotten beyond the glory of the gospel? Have you gotten beyond, are you too used to, are you too stagnant in what God has done for you that this isn't true? Because listen to the heart of Paul here. He's written two letters to this group of people that he loves. (laughs) And he goes, therefore. And by the way, he just got done talking about heaven and being of good courage. He says, therefore, knowing God, loving God, we share good news. We do this. We persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. Listen to this, verse 12. This is what I was just telling you about. Look at verse 12. We are not commending ourselves to you again. We're not talking about what we bring to the table. It says we're not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us. So that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart, right? It's not a transaction. It's not about what we're doing. It's about God being in you. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we're in our right mind, it is for you. Listen to this. For the love of Christ controls us. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this. Why does all this matter? Because we've come to this conclusion that one has died for all. 
Therefore, all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on. So what does that do? What does the gospel do in your daily life? What does it change about the way you see people? Listen to this. I love this. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. We regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Why? Because if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. He's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses or their sins against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are his ambassadors. We are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. This is what we do. This is how we live. This is the gospel on the ground in your life. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What a powerful passage of scripture rich with tons of stuff and we're not going to unpack all of it but there are some things that rise to the top out of this that matter and so in that place that it began it says because we have the fear of god because of the fear of god we persuade others what does that mean it's the next thing in your notes is this that we are god's ambassadors that's such an important concept for you and i to think about we have ambassadors in this country all around the world and they have a specific, a certain job. So that's pretty cool. But what is an ambassador? If that's what we're here for, if God's left us here and not taken us right to heaven so that we would be his ambassadors on earth, that we'd be his ambassadors in Tampa. What does that mean? Well, God tells us. It says that we're given this ministry of reconciliation. That we're given this reconciling thing. And so what is reconciliation? Reconciliation means that an exchange has taken place. An exchange has taken place. The, the fancy theological word for it is atonement. That we had a debt or somebody has a debt and there's an exchange that takes place, a forgiveness that takes place. And God has done that, it says right here, for us. And that now, through us, God's making his appeal to the world through you and I. Think about that. Think about all the things that we were worried about this week. And then think about that. How much time did we give to God making his appeal to a world that is broken 
through us? Or were we more concerned about the headlines that were on the screen at the beginning? I don't know about you, but I was more worried about the headlines. Can your pastor just admit to you that this week was an L? Is that, I don't know which way that's supposed to go on camera. One, whichever one's facing the right way. I'm working on it. Right hand? A loss. <laughs> we'll edit that one out later. But think about it. Think about the cares of this world that can just, I mean, they just come and they come and they come and they come and Satan just comes at you and comes at you and comes at you and at you. And whatever it is for you, I don't know, but we all have it. We all face it. It's very real. And all those things are real. And yet, if we live in the fear of God and we trust in his power and his ability and the fact that he's seated, reigning, ruling, and nothing is out of his control, then we're back to this place of what am I here for? What is my purpose? It's that good news that we exist for. That there's something bigger than what's happening right in front of our eyes. And so we acknowledge what is already true. We acknowledge what is already true about God. And then I love this idea that as ambassadors, God's inviting us. He's inviting you to reflect his values to the world. So if you're taking notes, that's the next thing there. I want want to give you five things that God invites us to reflect to the world. See, because what an ambassador does is... An ambassador goes to another country, a different land, a foreign place, and is a representative, and he or she reflects the values of our country in a foreign place. They don't go there and share their ideas. Their specific job as an ambassador is to go to a foreign place and represent our country, represent our people, provide a safe place in a foreign land for our people. And so as God's ambassadors, we are stationed here in Tampa or wherever you're watching from as a reflection of God to the world. We are ambassadors for Christ because what does it say? It says God is making his appeal to people through us. So we're reflecting, we're channeling that. And, and again, these are things we understand. Like we do this in our house. We do this in the Coon house. We have three kids. And sometimes if they do something that doesn't reflect the values of the Coon family, we'll say things like, Coons don't do that. Right? We're not blaming it on God. God may not care if they chew with their mouth open or not. But I do. Can I get an amen in church? <laughs> Keep your mouth shut. <laughs> Looking at you. But we understand that, don't we? Don't we? We're like, we expect our kids to rise to our values. When they go to somebody else's house, as they're going out the door, what do we say? Use your manners. Say thank you. Don't do this. Don't do that. You know, we, we give them the quick rundown of what coons do when they're away from mom and dad. So we understand this, you know, 
It's part of the way we do life. And so God is doing that with us. He has left you and I to be his ambassadors to the world. That's why there has to be something different about the way we gather. There has to be something different about the way we see other people. If all you see for other people is the judgment of God, you are wrong. Can I be very clear? Even if you're right, theologically, you can be wrong. It is not your job to change people's heart. Can I say that again? Because we're not good at this, church. Not just Redeemer City Church, Capital C Church. Not just picking on you. It's so easy, especially in our climate and culture today, to rush to a judgment. But here's the reality. We pick on things like, you know, in Romans 1, where it talks about where men and women exchange what is natural for what is unnatural. And that's true. It's Bible. But if you keep reading, it says if you disobey your parents... Okay, now all of us are in trouble. Because only Jesus came to this earth and didn't disobey his parents. (laughs) Every other one of us did, and you are in Romans chapter 1, and you are guilty. So this, this whole thing is not about picking on one sin or the other. We all sin. We're all messed up, and the Bible is very clear that every single one of us falls short of the glory of God. I don't care what political party you are. I don't care what sin you struggle with and you don't tell anybody about. All of it. It is a level playing field at the foot of the cross. Over and over and over again, Jesus in the Gospels is going to people who are messed up and being accused of things that were not true because of who he associated with. It's not our job to change people's hearts. The Holy Spirit is very good at that. What does the scripture say? If you keep reading in Romans, what leads to repentance? The kindness of God leads to repentance. The kindness of God. It's the church reflecting the values of God. That doesn't mean you affirm everything out there doesn't mean that at all. In fact, that will lessen your witness if you just affirm everything. Because then there's nothing different about us. So what I'm saying to you is you reflect the values of Romans 1 with the spirit of Romans 8. We're not affirming things that aren't true because we're ambassadors for God. There are things that God created and set in order and are best the way that he does them. But we are also responsible for how we take that to the world, right? Because what Matthew 5 said and what we studied last series is that we're the city set on a hill. We're the thing that people are supposed to look at. We're the light in the world. Salt brings flavor. Salt brings preserving. It doesn't kill So all of those things are important. So what are the five things we reflect? What are the five things we reflect? Number one, persuasion, right? We persuade others to open their heart, right? What what is the thing that we're doing here? If, If we know God, 
And we have found freedom in him. The desire of our heart should match God's, shouldn't it? And as a result of that, we want to persuade others of that. That what we have found is the best thing ever. We persuade others. That's a very important thing. It does not say that we go out and we beat people over the head with the truth. It says we persuade others. The truth, you know, I love the way C.S. Lewis, I think it was, that talked about this, that a lion doesn't need your defense. A lion can defend itself. You just let it out of the cage, right? So God will handle that. What do we do? We persuade others. We don't have time to go there, but in Luke 14, the heaven is compared to a party and and what God tells us is that we go out to the hedges and highways and what's the word? We compel people to come in. And Jesus says, so that my house will be full. So when, when you are going through life this week, who's around you that needs to be compelled into the house of God? If we're not doing that, we're not, we're not doing what God's left us here to do. doesn't mean he's not going to love you. doesn't mean he's not going to take you into heaven or keep you in the family. When my kids mess up, I don't kick them out of the coon family. Oh, mouth is open. Get out. <laughs> like, that's not the way it works, right? Because I love my kids, right? And so, but, but what it does mean is that we've got to get back on track. We've got to get back. Coronavirus, COVID, quarantine, all the things has probably scattered us and gotten us off track. Why do we do what we do? It's never been easier to invite somebody to church. You just click on YouTube. <laughs> you can just come here for an hour. I'll tell you right now, it's safer here than, ever, than you know, a lot of the stores and restaurants I'm going to. Just saying, PSA, Right? So we still do the things God's called us to do, but we just do it with wisdom, you know, and and we we persuade others. Number two, in doing so, right, as we're persuading others in doing that, we're controlled by the love of Christ. See, because it's not just some random I'm out there ah, with my bullhorn down at Emily, right? Like that's not what. We have boldness for sure. We don't shrink back from what God actually says in his word because it's true and it's right. And that's where freedom is. Scripture tells us that the truth will set you free. But if people are being held off so far that they can't hear the truth because nobody wants to be around you, you've lost your witness. You've lost your witness. That's why it says the love of Christ controls us. So in in persuasion, in doing so, we're controlled by the love of Christ. Verse 14. The love of Christ controls us because we've concluded this, that when Christ died, he died for all of us. It's that understanding that I'm in that pot. I am in that field of sinners. I'm no better than the person I'm looking at across the table or across the cubicle or wherever you find yourself. 
your family member, whatever the case may be. We're controlled by the love of Christ because we understand the love of Christ that has come to us. It makes a big, big difference. That's why 1 John 4.17 says that in this world, we are like Christ. Okay? So if I'm like Christ in this world, what did Jesus come to this world for? Luke chapter 4. He came to set the captive free. He came to open the eyes of the blind. He came for freedom. And so if in this world we are like Christ, we must reflect Christ's values. We're controlled by the love of Christ. And then I love this. This might be number three and number four are probably my favorite ones out of all this because it's what helps us shift our perspective, right? Because we're prone to see people as they are, not as they could be. We're prone to see people as they are, not as they could be if Jesus got involved. So number three, we regard no one according to the flesh, according to Scripture. When you look at somebody... We don't regard them by their problem. Right? We don't regard them by their political party. We don't regard them by their addiction. We don't regard them by their stance on anything. We don't regard them according to their flesh. But number four, we see everyone by their potential if Jesus got involved in their life. That'd be a good place to amen. Because you and I wouldn't be here if that wasn't true. I love that. I love it. Look at verse 16 and 17 again. It says this. It says, from now on, therefore. Don't you just love the authority with which Paul's telling the people of God in Corinth? Which Corinth was messed up, by the way. Do a little research. They had all the problems we have. And Paul says... From now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. Once we didn't even appreciate Christ for who he was. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, this is how we see people. If you would just be in Christ, if I could get you in the family of God, God will solve the rest. God will take every, God will take care of everything else. If I could just get you... To Jesus, you will be a new creation. The old passes away, the new comes. What does reconciliation look like? What does the ministry of reconciliation look like? That's what it looks like. Regarding no one according to their flesh, but everyone according to their potential if Jesus got involved in their life. That is what it means to be an ambassador of Jesus Christ in Tampa. That's what it means. We don't see people. I mean, think about the Good Samaritan, right? In Luke chapter 10. Two religious guys, two pastors, priests, come walking by, see that it's a Samaritan, and they get as far away as they can because they're concerned about the outward appearance of that guy's problem. It didn't matter that he was laying in a ditch dying. It was more important that they keep their testimony intact to the religious people that they were going to encounter. So they go to the other side of the street and let that guy die. Right? 
And then a Samaritan comes along who was the bad guy in the Bible. And he enters into that place. And what I want you to know is that Jesus is the good Samaritan. Right? Jesus is the good Samaritan in that story. And you and I are the one laying in the ditch. I think we have a temptation to think, I got to be the good Samaritan. That's not what the story's about. That's not what the story's about. The story is the fact that you are laying in the ditch. And everybody else is laying in the ditch. And Jesus, not anything else, comes to the rescue. He's the hero of the story. And so where does that leave us? Number five. Number five. You, you need all of that to recognize that number five, it's time to plead with people to come to Christ. I've been getting this question, you know, do I think we're in the end times? <laughs> I don't know. The guys in the Bible thought they were in the end times, and here we are a couple thousand years later. But what I do know is that time with God is not like time with us. What James tells us is so very true. Our life is but a vapor. It's here for a little while, and then it's gone. And if we are controlled by the love of Christ, we are going to plead with people to be reconciled to God. It is who we are. It's not just what we do. Who we are is God's kids. And we reflect the family values. Because we're controlled by the love of Christ. And the only natural reaction to that is that our vision, after it goes up to Jesus, and we fall in love with God, and we realize how awesome He is, and we experience good news as it comes in, and Jesus goes in and transforms us, the natural reaction is that we go serve our city. That we're controlled by the love of Christ and we plead with people, be reconciled to God, that we do what Jesus said in Luke, that we compel people to come in. We tell them about the best thing that we have ever found. Because it is. Listen, if there was ever a moment to offer somebody good news, it's now. It's now. If ever there was a time in our lifetime that the world's answers are not answering the question, it's now. People need a bigger perspective, an eternal perspective, a God who sits outside of us, who is willing to come inside and be your God and be his people. Amen? Be reconciled to God. Kevin, would you come on back up and... I want to sing that chorus again to, what's the fear song called? Stand in your love. That's the one. Because that's, that's it, right? Like we're singing the truth of what this passage teaches us. That if we're going to stand on or stand in some platform right now, it's the love of God. Do you believe that? You might not on Tuesday. You might not in November. Right? There's a temptation for us 
to put our hope in something else. But what is the Bible calling us back to? What is God, the Holy Spirit, calling us back to? To stand in, to be controlled by the love of Christ. So whatever you're afraid of, it doesn't stand a chance to overcome your great God. Because he's awesome. I began by reading a psalm that said, How awesome are your deeds toward the children of man. God loves you. He's your father. He wants to be your God. He desires to be your God. And he desires that we would be his people. What an amazing thing. So why don't you stand with me? And Kevin will lead us in that. And then I'll come back up and pray. And we'll take a chance to give and worship God in our our giving. But that's the invitation. Invitation to peace and life and beauty. But it comes in Jesus comes in Jesus so let's sing this song as a prayer and then I'll come back up